if you would turn to Acts chapter 2, if you got a Bible with you. Acts chapter 2. So we're, we're starting off uh, this year with a, with a new series from the book of Acts. And what I really hope is accomplished and what I've been praying for to be accomplished is that we take a closer look at the early church. When I say early church, I mean the formation of the church that Jesus established as he ascended into heaven all the way to the end of the book of Acts. Early church, using that language, can sometimes mean other things. It can mean uh, the early church, established church, with a, with a structure and a system after the book of Acts. But we're talking about the book of Acts. And really what I want us to do is to see how the first church, first church functioned. How they reached people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to simply refresh our memories on the events that happened in the book of Acts. And I pray that this, spirit, that this series inspires you and it challenges you to look and act like the church, to look and act like the true bride of Christ, which is the church. And as I mentioned uh, last week on New Year's Day, the new year kind of acts like a reset button for a lot of people. Maybe some of you, you have your New Year's resolutions and they're going pretty good right now. Maybe you're just old enough to where you're like, I don't make them because I know I'm not going to follow them anymore, right? But it starts, it's kind of like a reset button. It's like, last year was horrible. Maybe this year will be good, right? I want us this year to look back into church history, to go back in history, see what the church is supposed to look like, and also see how it applies to our current situation and our current culture here in 2023. And so open up and look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you would pray with me as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray as I pray every time, speak through me as you only know how. But Lord, open up all of our hearts to receive your message that you have for us. Lord, as we look at the very foundation of what a church is to be today, may we rediscover and continue to build on that foundation as we go into our year of outreach and we reach people with your love and your mercy and your grace and your story. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this old story, this old illustration that I'm sure has been passed down for generations because I don't know where it originates. I just know that my dad used it several times. I've heard other pastors use it all the time. And so it's just one of those. It's just like a, a, a widely known illustration. And once I start it, because I've heard Brother Dean preach it too, so I know that you guys have heard it, most of you. Once I start this illustration, you'll probably be like, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. But there was a mother fixing Thanksgiving dinner. And she cuts off the end of the turkey. 
and throws it away, right? I'm already seeing some head nods, right? And you're going to laugh exactly like you did the first time that you ever heard it. But this, this mom, she cuts off the end of a turkey, throws it away, puts it in the oven. And the daughter, curious, says, Mom, why do you do that? It seems so wasteful to cut that much off of the turkey and not eat it. And the mom, having not thought about it for a while, was like, well, I really don't know. It's just what my mother always did. So they called the grandmother. The grandmother says the same thing. Well, I don't really know why. My mother always did it. So then they called the great-grandmother. The great-grandmother says, well, I cut off that end of the turkey because the full turkey wouldn't fit in the oven. Right? And... You guys laugh exactly the same. (laughs) Anyways, there are some things in church that need to be cut off and thrown away. And there's some things in church that need to stay. Many of us, we forget about what the foundations of church are because we're so used to all this tradition and all these years of doing the same thing over and over that we forget what we're supposed to be cutting off and throwing away, and what we're supposed to be keeping. And many of us, what we actually end up doing is cutting off more than what we're supposed to. That's what part of the reason why we're going back to the early church. We're going back to the first church to see how the church was actually supposed to act. So that we throw away the bones, and we keep all of the flesh, all of the things that are good and will provide nourishment for this church, and throwing away the things that you don't eat. So I want us to take a deep dive into how the early church functioned, how they reached people, how they loved people in the midst of what would become very intense persecution. Traditions come, traditions go, but some traditions just last and they've stood the test of time. And so I want to keep those traditions, I want to keep those things and throw away what's not necessary. I want us to see how, as Shady Grove General Baptist Church can get back to the basics of church so that we can strive to be the church that God intended for us to be in Poole, Kentucky in 2023. So look back at your Bible. As we're going through this series through the book of Acts, uh, right now it's going to be a lot of foundational things, but we're going to be looking at everything that's happening in every chapter, at least briefly looking at it. Now, I would encourage you to go back to read and study and dive deeper than what we can in 30 minutes, 30, 35 minutes. But here's just a, a brief overview of what's happened. So in chapter 1, we talked about it uh, on Christmas Day, but to bring it up again, Jesus spends 40 days with the disciples. This is how Luke opens up this uh, book of Acts in chapter 1. Jesus comes after he's uh, convinced everyone. He convinces people and he teaches people for 40 days that he actually did raise from the dead. Once those 40 days are up, of him teaching the disciples, he, he commissions them again. He tells them, this is what you need to go and do. And then he ascends into heaven. As he is ascending into heaven, the the angel comes and and says, what are you still doing here? Why are you still looking up to the sky? You got to go. You got to go share the gospel with people. You got to go share what you just saw here. He's coming back and he's going to come back in the same way, but you need to now go. And so they, they go. The disciples go back to the upper room, which is where they had the last supper with Jesus. And then Peter addresses the group. Uh, There's about 120 of them at this time. And so Peter stands in front of all of them, and and he tells them that what Judas did was necessary. He was fulfilling Scripture. And and though it wasn't right for Judas, and Judas has his own punishment, and he talks about that a little bit in there, 
but that was going to fulfill Scripture. And so us, as a group of people, as Peter's talking, we need to fulfill Scripture also and replace Judas with someone else. And so we have two candidates. One of them is Joseph called Barsabbas, and then the other one is Matthias. And so they, they do this thing called casting lots. Now, if you're not familiar with casting lots, the best way that I can explain it is when you um, had like some sticks and whoever picked the longest one would be it. Like if you're playing tag or something, I don't know. But like it's, it's kind of similar to that. And what they were doing was they believed that God would only allow the one who, who God chose to pick whatever lot was going to, going to make them the next disciple, the next apostle. And so uh, you'll actually find in the book of Acts that this is how they choose preachers and, and pastors of their church. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you should start casting lots for pastors. <laughs> but that's what they did. And so there are some things in the early church that won't work for us now. If, if you casted lots, you might not have had me as a pastor. I don't know. But... Um, they, they cast lots, and they chose Matthias. So then we get to chapter 2. Whenever we get to chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. The disciples, they, they see these amazing things happen. It's, it talks about a sudden violent wind, and tongues like fire were coming down, and there, there's this amazing scene that you can read about. And the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in other tongues. Each one, uh, getting ahead of myself, they were speaking in other tongues. And as they were doing this, they were proclaiming God's goodness, the goodness of God. They were proclaiming the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they're speaking in these other tongues, each one that was gathered there in Jerusalem, who were representing different nations, different tribes, and different languages, all different kinds of languages, each and every one of them were hearing their own language being spoken to them by these people. And so there's a lot of confusion among them simply because they were hearing about the goodness of God in their own language, but who was speaking was the Galileans who spoke Aramaic or Hebrew. And so they were confused. It would be like me coming up here and speaking Greek to you, which I can't do, but speaking Greek to you, and then you hearing it in English. You hearing the words in English, but knowing that I can only speak Greek. Or uh, if you go to like a Spanish-speaking church, walking in there knowing that everyone's speaking Spanish, but you're hearing everything in English. This is the type of speaking in other tongues that was happening. It was known languages. And so pre Peter starts to preach to this crowd of different languages and different people and, and different nations while everyone's hearing his words in their own language. And he opens up with a quote from Joel. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so the first thing that I want to point out, I told Chloe the other, or last night, I said, I have like the most generic three-point general Baptist sermon today. So there's three points. Uh, But the first thing that I want to point out of the foundation of the church in the book of Acts is that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church in the book of Acts is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we as a church need also to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might be getting uncomfortable. Because sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, you immediately think, okay, is he trying to take his costal now? Like, are we going to be speaking in tongues now and, and everything? Because we think of those, we think of Pentecostals, we think of charismatic music or uh, movements where they prioritize speaking in tongues. I'm not affirming that. What I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit comes into every church and empowers them to reach the community that they were planted in. And so I'm going to say it again just for clarity. The Holy Spirit gives the church the gifts that are necessary to reach their community where they are planted in the time that they are. In this instance, on the day of Pentecost, and I want to stress this for the point that I'm trying to make. On the day of Pentecost, there's multiple people, multiple nations, multiple languages. The Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to speak in different languages, multiple known languages, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be heard. Their community in which they were uh, preaching to and teaching to was one of multiple languages. And so you can imagine if there is a ton of different languages around full Kentucky, like 10 or 12 or, or more different languages all represented here, that type of speaking in tongues of known languages would probably be helpful. You can see that because there's no way that I, I'm, because I'm not good at learning languages, but I couldn't speak in 10 or 12 different languages. And to repeat myself every single time so that everyone would hear. People would get bored and they'd leave. And so I'm not saying necessarily that it's not a true gift. It just might not happen as much as we think it does. But the Holy Spirit empowers churches and gives them the gifts that are necessary to reach their community. And so we have the gifts right here represented to reach people And this time, in 2023, he has given us and he will continue to give us the gifts that are necessary to reach our community and to share the gospel effectively in 2023 in Poole, Kentucky. And because of that, all of the people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved because of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to reach people as the church. If you continue on in the book of Acts, Peter affirms in his sermon, he affirms Jesus performed these signs and wonders. He affirms Jesus as the Messiah. And he also tells the people that they are wicked and nailed Jesus to the cross. It's a, it's a great sermon. And I wish that I could preach like, like Peter, but I can't. But he also affirms that God raised him from the dead. And you'll see that he quotes David twice. And he's using this to strengthen his point. The first time that he quotes David, he said, David said about him, meaning about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead 
You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And as Dave, or as Peter's talking about David, he's talking about their hero. David is their hero. It's all Jewish people's hero is David because they also know that a descendant of David is going to be the Messiah. And so every single lineage of David was a sign of hope and it was their hero. And Peter says, look at your hero. Look at David. He's died and he's buried. And you can go visit his grave whenever you want to. But he also knew that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. And David knew this too. And Peter says, this is Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the descendant of David that's going to do this. But unlike David, who is dead and buried, Jesus is risen and he's alive today. He's exalted to the right hand of God. And then he quotes David again. And he said, for David did not ascend into heaven, yet he said this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But then Peter continues on and he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And scripture says people were cut to their heart and they didn't know what to do. And so Peter says, repent and be baptized. And in that moment, 3,000 people were added to their number. Because of these things, this is point number two, the church in the book of Acts shared the gospel and called for repentance. Oftentimes, what I think churches can, just this just based on my own observation, is that they either call out for repentance or they only share the gospel. And not call anyone to repentance. And if you don't have those two things together, nothing's going to work. If you only share the gospel, but don't call people to repentance, to go have a bunch of gospel-believing baby Christians running around everywhere, thinking that they can do whatever they want to, because Jesus is always just going to forgive them. But if you only call for repentance, and you never share the gospel with them, then everyone's going to be feeling hopeless, and they're not going to, they're not going to go anywhere. They're, they're going to sit there and just be in their own. They're either going to give up on life. They're going to give up on trying to follow all the laws and the rules because they're like, well, you know, I'm repenting all the time and I'm repenting all the time. But if they don't know Jesus as their Lord, then they're never going to progress. They're going to always be repenting. As the church today, we need to do both. We need to share the gospel, let people know their sins and love and then call them towards repentance. Now, if you noticed, I know I talk fast sometimes, but I said, let them know their sins in love. That, is not, that does not mean softball. Oh, you're bad, but it's okay. Right? I, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying there's a loving way to call people out on their sins. And it's different for everyone because everyone has a different love language. And so... Later this year, we're going to be learning some of that stuff. I'm going to be preaching about some of that stuff. I can't do it right now because of the time. But I want you to know that that, that is coming later this year of learning and trying to, to share people, share the gospel with people, call them to repentance in a loving way. They might not receive it loving, but I'm going to tell you how to do it loving. 
But repentance comes from a state where you are so sorry for your sins that you continue to work to change and never fall into the sin again. The thing about repentance is that it needs two things. It needs you and it needs the Holy Spirit. I love uh, quoting Charles uh, Spurgeon. I love reading his stuff. Um, If you don't know who that is, look him up. He's an early church leader and he is phenomenal in what he does. But one of his quotes says, repentance is a plant that never grows on nature's dunghill. The nature must be changed and repentance must be implanted by the Holy Spirit or it will never flourish in our hearts. And so in the book of Acts, when you see that people were cut to their heart when they heard that they crucified the Messiah, this is the Holy Spirit coming into their life and implanting a heart of repentance. Now what the people had to do then in response is what Charles Spurgeon also says. Repentance makes us see the evil of sin, not merely as a theory, but experimentally as a burnt child dreads fire. And so in response to being uh, implanted a repentant heart, they see that they've been burned by sin. And so all of us, we've been burned by sin because all have fallen short of the glory of God. And when we truly repent of our sinful ways, it should break our heart to see so many people running straight into the fire. It should break our heart and it should be a natural desire to save them like a firefighter for the soul. I love this illustration that I heard from another pastor who actually was a, a full-time firefighter at the time. He said, a church that doesn't share the gospel, a church that doesn't reach their community, is like a fire department that never goes towards the fire. And so imagine this. We've got the pool fire department right there. Imagine this building catches fire. How great would it look if the pool fire department looked out their window and said, oh, that church is on fire. If they would just be at the fire department, they'd all be fine. That, you know, that they should have just been here instead because we're the fire. They should have just been here. You know, we, we just got to make sure that they're here. But if they never go towards the fire, if they never have a desire to to put the fire out, nothing will change. And people will continue to burn and burn and burn. That's not what I want this church to do. And I think there are a lot of churches that do that. I say, well, they should have just been in here. If they would have been in here, they would have been fine because our building's not on fire, but theirs is. The Holy Spirit has given us the gifts and the abilities, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to go put out spiritual fires. But if we don't utilize it, And I'm sorry, but eventually God will say, do your own thing then. And his presence will leave this church. I don't want that to happen. I'm trying to work to let that not happen. Our passion should rest in giving hope to the hopeless and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and knowing that Christ is the only way that they can receive salvation. And he's trusted us to go and share this message. And church, if we don't share this message, this church will die. Last but not least, the church in the book of Acts gathered together. So we as a church today should also gather together.
In Acts chapter 2, going back to what we read at the beginning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church baptized people regularly. They regularly saw baptisms to where it was just the normal thing for them to see. They always shared the gospel. They always called out people on their sins in love. They gathered together daily. They fellowshiped with one another. They had meals together. They prayed together. They praised God together. We as a church in 2023 need to continue to dedicate ourselves to reading and studying God's word together. We need to continue our dedication to pray together, to worship together, to reach together, to eat together, to giving those who are in need together, gathering together. If we have any chance at all of seeing life transformation this year, we have to dedicate ourselves to growing in Christ together. So many times, and it's not necessarily our fault because a lot of worship music is all about me. It's all about I. It's all about you. It's all about us as individuals. And yes, there is an individual faith that each and every one of us have because all of us are going to stand before God one day and be held accountable for our actions for our love, for our testimony, for who we are as people. And so, yes, there is a, a, a myself and my own personal relationship with God. But when we focus on that, we forget about the community that we are supposed to be involved in. We are created for community. We are created for relationships. And if we're not doing it together and we're trying to do it all alone, we'll get nothing done. Because I don't have all the gifts to reach this community. You don't have all the gifts to reach this community. But us together as a church, we have every gift that's necessary to see life transformation happen in Poole, Kentucky in 2023. But we have to work together. And so if you sit back and just watch things happen, you're going to be held accountable for it. If you're not acting like the church, like the bride of Christ, and you're not working together, you will be held accountable for it. I truly believe that on that day when we face Jesus face to face and he calls us his child and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, he will also say, did you help your brothers and sisters love me? Did you reach people? Did you draw strength from one another? And I don't think, and this is just my opinion, I don't think that if we're doing it all by ourselves, that we're going we're gonna to see much results at all. If I try to go and share the gospel with someone, I might eventually get them to, 
to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but it's a whole lot easier when they see the church act and function like a church. We are better together because we were created for community. We are stronger together. And so I want to invite you in these next couple moments as we're about to worship and close out our worship service today to come together, to break bread together. In fact, in case you missed it in the morning announcements, we're going to break bread together tonight from 4 to 6. We have to come together to worship God, to study His Word, to praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Let us be the church together.